tonight in the house of the Lord, and we're so thankful that you're here with us. We're looking forward to worshiping the Lord this evening. We're going to start out on Sunday nights like we normally do with our prayer requests. We want to remember Bobby uh, Wenner, uh, healing from sh uh, shoulder surgery. That's from Parks Williams. Let's remember uh, Denise Snyder. She is in the hospital uh, for breathing and oxygen problems. That's from Mildred Barker. So let's remember her in prayer. Let's remember Isaiah Holman. And uh, this is a friend of Jessica Sexton and uh, Courtney, that's your little brother, right? There you go. Uh, he is four years old in the ICU. Is he doing any better? Okay. All right. He went in there. He was unresponsive for 12 hours, and they found another underlying health concern as well. Please pray for healing and guidance for him. So let's be praying for Isaiah Holman. Then let's remember Wilma Gentry. She has pancreatic cancer and is going through chemo. Continued prayers. Please, God is in control of all things. That's from Martha Blevins. So let's remember these prayer requests. Let's remember the Nottingham Four out singing tonight and revival that starts at True Gospel. Also, I believe revival starts somewhere else this week too. Kenneth Square, Missionary Baptist. So don't forget that as well. Uh, so remember those revivals that are going on in our area as well. We're going to open up in a word of prayer. Brother Harry, why don't you stand? Come on up here. I for, keep forgetting. I was going to ask you to stand, but come on up here. Open us up in a word of prayer this evening. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer, please.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this evening. I especially thank you for this morning and the worship service we had and the group coming here and uplifting us in spirit and song. And we thank you, Lord, for the testimony of that group. Lord, we have a list here that we want to we want to mention to you. Bobby Leonard, Denise Snyder, Isaiah Holman, I think it's Wilma Gentry, and the Nottingham Four being out and preaching and testifying. We want to pray for them and the others that are out singing. And Lord, the revivals that are uh, beginning uh, this week, I, I believe there's one in Kennett Square, Lord, and another one. I thank you, Lord, for coming to you, Lord, with our prayer requests. Thank you, Lord, that this is the day that the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice in it. Thank you for everything you've done for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we had a debt we couldn't pay. Thank you, Lord, that we could worship him in spirit and truth this morning. Lord, I pray you bless this evening as we go before you in song and in testimony. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' blessed and holy name we pray. Amen. Everybody stand. sure you grab a bulletin, get all the announcements that are in there. Youth Group Discovery Club, Tuesday night, 6.30 to 8.30. On Tuesday night as well is our Men's 33 series. It's going so well, that's at 6.45. Please make sure 
If you have not scheduled a directory photograph that you do that today, you can see Ruby or Andrew. Make sure that you get that in there. We want to see that fellowship meeting is Saturday, April the 22nd at 7 p.m. at True Gospel Baptist Church, and there'll be no executive meeting this time uh, before the service, so remember that. And Nottingham Neighbors is accepting donations, so uh, make sure that you read in here about the donations, what they need to be uh, and what they need to look like and all of that good stuff, and I'm sure they've got an event not too far in the future coming up, right? Oh, they're going to hold off to the fall. There you go. All right. At this time, we'll have our ushers come for our Sunday evening tithes and offerings. Brother Ronnie, would you ask a blessing over this offering? here we pray God for the message tonight God that you prepared for us God we pray we'll listen and seal to our hearts pray for the sick God that you touch and heal them Lord we pray for those that could be here and not deal with our hearts God bless this offering bless the service tonight in Jesus name amen it's 333 333 everybody stand Come on up, choir. There's a sad day coming, a sad day coming. There's a sad day coming by and by. When the sinner shall hear his turn depart, I know you not. Are you ready for the day to come? Oh, are you ready?
so um, this song's been on my heart the last couple of days. Uh, we're at the men's Bible study uh, on Friday night. And uh, uh, let me just say, if you're not coming, I'm, if you're not coming out to those meetings, you're, you're missing a, a blessing. And I'm sure the ladies' Bible study is the same. But just a time to get together. Um, I don't know. It just seems a little bit more intimate getting together, going around and sharing our our prayer requests and our praise. And um, I mean, there was there was this minor interruption, but uh, all in all, it went pretty well. And uh, Eric gave uh, a devotion, and this has been on my mind, and it brought this song to my mind. And uh, because the end of his devotion ended up wait on the Lord, and He will renew your strength. But going through that, he's talking about. The stars and the galaxies and how God is big enough to create trillions upon trillions of, of, of stars. And he names them and he numbers them and he gives them power. And the God we serve is that big Amen. that he can do these things beyond our comprehension. Trillions upon trillions, giving them power, naming them. And, um, and just relating that to really whatever we're going through in our life. God is big enough to handle it. I mean, he's big enough. He could create the stars. So many, truly, it's number them, power them. But then I got to thinking, uh, you know, after we left there, the stars to me, I'm sure they probably have a, a greater purpose than I know. But to me, a star is just nice to see on a clear night. And so I think to myself, if God took the time just to give us something to enjoy a, a nice evening, I mean, how minor does that seem how insignificant does that seem and then I think about sometimes my problems and they seem minor and they seem insignificant and if God takes the time to make trillions of these little things that if it's a cloudy night it doesn't affect my day you know it, it just didn't it doesn't affect me but God took the time for something so minor and so seemingly insignificant but he took so much time and he, he gives them power. So whatever small thing that I feel like I'm going through, whatever small thing you feel like you're going through, how in, however insignificant you feel like that little thing is, you're the only one that cares about it. You think that nobody else really cares, that God doesn't even care. God cares. He's interested in the little things, my mother-in-law always says. He's interested in the details. God's in the details, the small things, even the stars in the sky. As little as that is. And then it ends with, and, and, you know, it gives us that confidence and that assurance that God is big enough to do these things and, and, and detailed enough to be so attentive to these minor things. So as we're going through what we're going through in life, knowing that we serve a God who has this power, who has this ability, who's interested in these details, all we got to do is wait on him. Wait on him. And I know that's easier said than done a lot of times. But I'm thankful that he says he will renew our strength to those that wait on him. And I know I found that true in my life. <laughs> it's been tried and tested in my life. I've just been impatient with things. And, and, and it couldn't come quick enough. But God has his timing. God has his, his, his way. God, God's ways are higher than mine. They're, they're better than mine. And he's working in our waiting. And this song has just been on my heart ever since the Friday night, so I hope it's a blessing to you.
just have outgrown them. That doesn't mean that I don't believe that there's something bigger than me. Cause I've seen it in the hospital room when the doctor said sorry. There's nothing more we can do. But it wasn't through. I've never seen a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But I've got a promise I can hold in the middle of the struggle. That God, if you said it, you'd perform it. May not be how I want you to. But here's what I'll do. I'm gonna wait on you.
But uh, this song, again, I was thinking about it. Uh, I had like three sermons that I wanted to preach tonight. I was going to go back into the Minor Prophets, which I will continue. I had this sermon in Acts. I just can't get away from it because of the fact that, and, and I'm going to preach it here in a moment, that it again focuses on, on the exodus of God's people out of the land of Egypt. For the children of Israel, this is everything. Amen. This is huge. Their, their whole calendar year revolves around them coming out. And all of it is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And all of it shows, and, and, and I'm not, I don't want to preach my message, but all of it is pointing to the fact of who Jesus Christ is. And you remember and recall that Jesus, when he sits down to eat the Passover meal with his disciples, I've desired to eat this meal with you. They're representing the lamb that its blood was shed and put on the door. But Jesus said, when you drink this cup, this wine, this is the New Testament in my blood because all of the time that they had been painting this picture showing this type of the shedding of blood the book of Hebrews says that the blood of bulls and goats could never could never redeem men from their sins but Jesus Christ by his own blood went into the holies of holies in a temple not made with hands into the heavenly heavens and presented his blood as the sacrifice for sin. His blood was not just ordinary blood, but it was precious blood.
Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Acts chapter number 13. Acts chapter number 13. I, uh, I was planning on, well, I am still. We just finished up with Jonah, and I want to go into the book of Micah next as we continue through the Minor Prophets Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. But I actually, I had this message on my heart And I kept thinking about, well, I'm preaching these on Sunday mornings. But a lot of times, I don't know if you notice this, but a lot of times on Sunday morning, we don't get much time to preach. You notice that? Amen. Well, yeah, it's a good thing. Amen. And uh, but at the same time, uh, we often have to, you know, put one thought down. And I kept looking at this sermon and thinking, Lord, there's quite a few things in here that you've got on my heart and on my mind. and I want to present them well. We always want to make sure that we present the Word of God well and that the Scripture that we're preaching, that we do everything that we should in it and let it speak for itself. And I wanted to do that, and I was just like, Lord, yes, let's preach that on a Sunday night, and uh, you'll bear with me if I take a few more moments tonight uh, than we normally do. But Acts chapter 13, and what I would like to do is uh, let's start in verse number 16. We'll read down through a little ways, uh, probably verse number 30, and it's a little bit more than we normally read, but it's not all of Paul's sermon, but we're going to read at least that much of it. Stand with me if you would. Acts chapter 13, verse number 16 is where we'll start, and then we'll ask the Lord to help us tonight. Acts 13, verse 16, the Bible says this, Then Paul stood up. And beckoned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an high arm brought he them out of it. That's a great phrase. I love that. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. That's also another great phrase. The Lord indeed suffered their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all of my will." Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus, who John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes Of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, 
To you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet, their, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house tonight. Dear God, we pray that you'd help us as we take some time in your word tonight. Dear God, it's, it's my desire a little bit tonight for us to, to study your word, to uh, maybe just uh, find something that maybe we haven't thought about, uh, not that it would necessarily be new, but that, dear God, uh, we just maybe haven't put the connection there the way that maybe we should have or, uh, or maybe that you would want us to. But tonight, dear God, on my heart uh, is this message of Paul. And as Paul preaches this message, dear God, I feel that it resounds again into our heart today that the gospel should still be preached in this manner and that, dear God, the application for today is still very real. So help us tonight to make that. Help us to be true to the word of God. And dear God, let it uh, change the way that we live and maybe, dear God, let it change the way that we witness to some folks that need it. Uh, and just let it be, maybe it'll be more powerful. I, I don't know. Whatever you want to do with it, that's what we want tonight. That's what we want. So we pray that you'd help us. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Pretty simple passage of scripture. Uh, as we go and look at how things are progressing Paul here is starting to kind of take the lead as it comes in the missionary journeys and the things that they're doing. We start to see, as we already mentioned, when we looked in chapter 13 and verse number 9, then Saul, who is called Paul, was filled with the Holy Ghost, that at that time forward we do not see his name written again as Saul, but from there forward he is Paul. We also start to see in the scriptures that as we see them listed, that Paul's name starts to become first as he's mentioned among the apostles and among those that are on these missionary journeys, giving us an indication that Paul is starting to take the lead in what is going on and what is taking place as they minister from place to place. It's very true that as we read through the rest of the book of Acts, we do see that it starts to really point to Paul's ministry and the things that he does. As we come to this passage of Scripture, we already read in verse number 13 and spoke about it, that when Paul, when they loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departing from them, this is just a little bit of context of what's going on, which is John Mark, who we'll hear more about later, departs from the company of the missionary journey. And unfortunately, we're not exactly sure the reason, but we do know that they make reference later on that the cares of this world seem to be a too much for John Mark. 
Uh, and this also causes some trouble between Paul and Barnabas later uh, when they consider John Mark. And some interesting things there. But John Mark leaves and now they're going to leave and they're going to go to Antioch, which is in Pisidia, which is not to be confused with the other Antioch, which is in Syria, where that church is. And so you've got to do a little bit of homework Sometimes it's really important and sometimes it's not. And we took the time in Sunday school to get out our map and watch as they went. And I'm not going to do that uh, during sermon time, but during preaching time or on your own, it can be really helpful for you to look at where they're going and line it up with how much time they spent there. It puts a little bit of context to it. Rather than just reading and be like, they went here, and then they went here, and then they went here. But you start to see that uh, these were long journeys that they made. And imagine the things that they spoke about, the things that they were done. Like I said, I'm not going to preach on that, but I did want to make sure that we understood what was going on. So here they go to Antioch in Pisidia, which would be in modern-day Turkey. And here he's going to preach in this synagogue. He finds that he does what he normally does and they go to the synagogue and there they just go in. They don't expect to do anything. They just go to worship. And as the day is over, we didn't read this, the men that are there, they look at Paul. They look at the ones that are with him. I think there was some things about Paul that they understood that this was a man who understood the scriptures. And they said, brother, do you have an exhortation for us. And so Paul stands up, and if you read the, uh, the book of Acts over and over, Paul likes to do this. He beckons with his hand. Apparently Paul liked to preach with his hands. Maybe he was Italian, I don't know. But Italians talk with their hands, don't they? But he stands up. You know, he's a good Jewish man, and he starts to beckon with his hand, and he speaks and he preaches this message that we have here. I want to tell you something that's really important in the scriptures, that we really don't have a tremendous amount of the messages of the apostles written down for us. And so when we do, I think it's really important to glean all that we can from them. I mean, to meditate on them and to ponder them. Sometimes we look at them and I'm guilty of this, and we look at it and we go, oh, it's just another message. It's just uh, Paul's going to kind of do the same things that he always does. But I'm telling you, you need to look at them and meditate on them and ponder them. It will do us all a lot of good, and I really believe it would do us preachers a ton of good to study the messages that the apostles preach and say, how can I pattern my messages more after the preaching of the apostles? And so for just a moment, we're going to just look at this. I'm going to outline it real quick. There's really, it's not that difficult to outline it and to put it together. And then I'm just going to make a few applications from it. But I'm going to wait until we've outlined the whole thing before I make any application. What I want you to notice that as we first uh, take a look in verse number 16. The Bible says that Paul then stood up and he beckoned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. I want you to first understand that 
He is making, and this is not my outline as the start of it, but I almost would have it as an introduction, that he understood who his audience was that day. Boy, that is huge. If you want to preach well, if you want to witness well, if you want to present the gospel well, you need to know your audience, okay? I, I thought that might have got an amen. I can't believe that didn't get nothing. Are you thinking about it? You ought to know your audience. I love door-to-door -door ministry. Please don't take this the wrong way. But there is something about sharing the gospel with someone that you know, that you care about, and you've spent time praying for. Do we or do we not know that, that Paul has a burden for the people of Israel? Amen. Romans 9. Amen? Go read it. He said, I wish that I could be accursed that the nation of Israel would receive the gospel. Do you believe that he has a desire to see them be saved? Oh, yes, he does. And he stands up that day, and he knows who he's speaking to, and he says, listen, ye men of Israel, listen to me. He also understands that he is speaking to people who understand also things about this. This is some beautiful stuff in there. He says, men of Israel and ye that fear God. It is estimated that in Antioch, there was probably a lot of Gentiles who had actually converted to Judaism. That the monotheistic system of Judaism would appeal to a lot of people because they were tired of worshiping many deities and they enjoyed the moral compass of Judaism and the idea of monotheism, and so they would convert to Judaism. That means they would understand, they would have read the Torah, they would have read the law, they knew the history of Israel, just like the Jewish people. And, and Paul says, I am talking to you. I know who you are, and I am speaking to you, and I'm going to share the gospel with you. So... The first thing that he does, this is number one in my outline as we outline Paul's sermon. The first thing that he does is he makes a national appeal. Notice what he says. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers. These are all key words that they are going to key in on. They're going to go, yes, we are the chosen people. Yes, God picked our fathers. Yes, you're speaking our language, Paul. We understand what you're talking about. He says, when we dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. He's saying, now you're really talking to us, Paul, because our greatest victory was when God brought us out of the land of Egypt. And he is speaking to their national pride. He is speaking to them as Jewish men and women. And Paul adds a little something here. And he says, and God brought us out with a high hand. I like that. I like that because he's saying, hey, we whooped them Egyptians, didn't we? Well, better yet, God really stuck it to those Egyptians as we came out of the land of, Israel, of Egypt. And they said, yes, he did. If you want to go back, and I really don't have time to do this in this message, but man, if there is anything that is worth our time studying, it is God bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
If ever a time that God showed off, it was right then. As a matter of fact, what he keeps saying all throughout that whole thing is he's going to say, you Israelites, you're going to know that I am Jehovah God and they are going to know that I am Jehovah God when this whole thing's done. That's what he keeps saying. You're going to know I'm God and they're going to know I'm God. You're going to know it for all the right reasons and they're going to know it for all the wrong reasons. Guess what? One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And everybody is going to know that Jehovah, Yahweh God, I am that I am, is God. They're going to know it for all the good reasons or for all the wrong reasons. One or the other. Where are you going to be? Amen goes right there. I want to be on knowing him like the children of Israel. Amen. I want to come out of this world with a high hand. Amen. I want to know that the Passover blood, but not just any blood, not just the blood of a regular Passover lamb, but the blood that John was talking about of the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. I want to know that that blood is on my doorposts hanging on my house. I want to come out with a high hand. I'm not going to squeak through to get it to heaven. Amen? We're coming out with a high hand. And if you can't tell, we could stop right there. We could preach for a long time because God's not done. This stuff, Egypt, coming out, this is the biggest thing. Even now today, this is a seven-day celebration of Passover for the Jewish people. It's huge what God has done for them. And this appeals to their national pride. And he keeps on going. He keeps on going. Not only does he appeal to their national pride, that's the first section in there, okay? And I haven't even made any application. Even though you think that I did, I didn't, okay? And I'm watching that clock. Not only did he make a national appeal, but second, as you bring this down, he made a Jesus appeal, okay? He starts tying it in. He's saying, you understand how, what it means to be a Jewish person. You understand what God did when he brought us out. You understood that God used the judges. Not a great time in their history, but you remember it. Then he brings about Saul, the king. Again, not a time they're eager to remember, but then they, he says something they're excited about again. And you know what that is, right? David. David. Oh, David. King David. Still the greatest king that they've ever known. Still the king that they long for. It is from his line, from the root of Jesse, that they believe the Messiah is going to come. And so Paul starts to connect the dots. And he says, listen, from this man David, of his line, who God said his line's not going to fail. Who God said uh, that, guess what? In him, I'm going to accomplish everything that I've promised to do out of this line comes this man, Jesus Christ. And he connects the dots and makes the appeal to Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, and we read it there, he said this is the man that was brought to them that John the Baptist preached about. Everybody else kept asking John, John, are you the Messiah? John, are you the Messiah? John said, no, I'm not the Messiah. He's coming down the road. I'm not even worthy to latch his shoes. That's him right there. Why wouldn't they listen to John? Why wouldn't they listen to John? 
They're asking him if he's the Messiah, and he says, no, he's the Messiah. How is it that they missed? But he's, he starts to connect the dots with a Jesus appeal, with strong understanding of how Jesus fits into everything that they would have known, all the things of the past, all of the Passover lamb, all the things that you celebrate point to Jesus Christ. The atonement, the blood sacrifice, and then the fact that God raised him from the dead. And then he gives them a warning in verse number 40. So he makes a national appeal. He, he boosts their pride a little bit. He makes an appeal for Jesus. And then he gives them a warning. That's the third part of his message. It's a good message. Boy, that's a good outline right there, right? Hey, make an appeal. Make an appeal to their, to their pride. Make an appeal about Jesus. Connect the dots, amen? And then warn them. Warn them of what? Notice what he says in verse number 40. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken in the prophets. He said, listen, be careful. Because what the prophets have said, you, you don't want to be the fulfillment of that. Okay? Verse 41. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which, she, which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. He's saying, don't miss it. God has done a great work. And if you're not careful, the prophets have already spoken that if you're not careful, you're going to miss it. You're going to be blinded, even though somebody is coming and preaching it to you as plain as can be. But if you're not careful, you're going to miss it going to miss it because of the vainness of your heart because of the things that you care about all of the I don't want to make too much application I want to make the application real quick okay and this is going to the first one's going to be the longest one maybe you left some room under there to write some things but my applications one two and three go right along with the outline that he has of one two and three a national appeal a Jesus appeal and a warning to those that are his listeners, okay? I want to look to the first one. I'm going to tell you, I meditated on this for a long time. The application for us seems to be easy to make, okay? We could say and talk about what God has done for America as a country, right? We could make a national appeal. I could preach that. We could even start to make some assumptions that, that might even be a little bit too grand. As a matter of fact, I think we've been guilty about that a little bit in America. That somehow we sometimes think that America has just taken the place of Israel. And even though we go, no, 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 we understand that it's not, in our mind we think that somehow we're in some place uh, that, that's right up there with it. And that... and. Let's just face it as well. I think like the nation of Israel, we sometimes um, as Americans get caught up in putting all of our hope in America. That somehow for us to make it, God's got to, you know, America's got to have a revival. I don't care how you slice it. My hope is not in the United States of America. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust 
the sweetest frame. But wholly lean on Jesus' name, right? There's nothing else. But we get caught up in how great America is. And I'll be honest, that's kept me from even touching the subject often. Because I don't want mine to be filled with things that don't belong. We are not Israel reborn. The church is not Israel reborn. None of those things are true. But I do believe and I see in the, in the word of God right here that, that he makes a national appeal, doesn't he? So how, is I, how can I today make that apply and make that application for us today? Well, whether you're, you might be surprised by this and maybe you won't, but it is possible and this is absolutely wonderful. I was listening to something a couple weeks ago that was, and again, I'm hung up on all this stuff, and if I could go back and preach it, I'd be preaching it forever, but I was listening to a rabbi go through Passover. I was loving every minute of it. Boy, it was awesome as he was talking about it. And man, I saw Jesus over and over and over and over. And it was wonderful. But as he was speaking about it, he was speaking about the fact that throughout America's history, that they have identified themselves with the nation of Israel in this particular way. You say, what particular way? In slavery, being freed from bondage, just like the Hebrew people were freed from the land of Egypt. We understand it, and we know it from the very songs that are sung during the Civil War. Uh, and, and as the Africans, Americans were, were being freed from that, they often would use the verbiage and use it in their song of Pharaoh, let my people go. We know those songs are there. We hear them sung. And they made the plea on this basis of the fact that, that we should be free. But it even goes back further than that. We understand too, and I don't have time to talk about it at all. We understand that during uh, the 60s and during the civil rights movement that they made the same plea. That the night before he was killed, Martin Luther King Jr. stood up and used these words. And if you remember it, he said, I have seen the promised land. That's what he preached on that night. If you haven't heard it, you might want to go and check that out. It's pretty powerful stuff. But here, in this one, George Washington is making a different parallel. In that wherever there is tyranny, and wherever there is men who are oppressed by governments and those that would hold them back, that we can make the same, we can make the same connection, we can look at the same thing and say that these folks are being freed in the same way. And a nationalistic pride that comes from that connection is important. And a nationalistic pride the way that George Washington is going to put it in this is absolutely amazing. This has taken me forever. I hope you're staying with me tonight. In 1790, after George Washington had been appointed president of the United States, letters came pouring into him from all different denominations and religious groups congratulating him, number one, on his presidency, and number two, wanting assurance that religious freedom would be practiced in this new country and even by these folks. As a matter of fact, one of the most famous letters uh, that George Washington wrote was written back 
to the uh, Hebrew congregation that was in Rhode Island. This letter, though, that we're going to read a small section of was to the Hebrew congregation that was in Savannah, Georgia. And I want you to listen to it just for a moment. This is how he closes out the letter. May the same wonder-working deity who long since delivering the Hebrews from their Egyptian oppressors planted them in the promised land. Notice what he says here. Whose providential agency has lately been conspicuous in establishing these United States as an independent nation. Still continue to water them with the dews of heaven and to make the inhabitants of every denomination participate in the temporal and spiritual blessings of that people whose God is Jehovah. What's George Washington saying as he closes out that letter? He said the same God that brought you out of Egypt had a divine hand in shaping and forming the things that have happened in this war here in the United States. What he's saying? He's saying, I turned around. Hey, let's just face it. The Revolutionary War. Should, should the United States of America win that thing? Nope, right? We know it. We understand it. That shouldn't have even been a competition. It shouldn't have been anything. But George Washington looks back and says, God's hand was with us. His divine providence was guiding the affairs of this country. Why? So that people could be free. That's what's happening in the book of Exodus. Pharaoh, let my people go. They should not be slaves. They should be free. And here, George Washington is saying God is working. Now, there's so much that I don't have time to do all of this because I got two other points and you know it and you're already thinking about it. But we're going to fly through those. But I want you to think about that just for a moment right now. If we do indeed start to move as a country that has no room for God and is not allowed to look back and say, God has guided the course of the events of this nation. If we're not allowed to look back, I believe we're losing the biggest testimony of what God is doing to begin with. It makes it very difficult for us to witness and share with people the, the power and the, and, and, the, and the understanding of who God is. That he is also working on a national level, but he also is working on a personal level. That comes into play in this. I just don't have time to bring it all to light. But I want you to see more than just talking about the fact that, oh, this is the greatest nation or no, this is this. What's so important in bringing the national pride and what God and what Paul is doing here is saying, look how God protected you, Israel. George Washington is looking back and saying, just like God protected you, Israelites, God protected us as well. He's done it. Everybody needs to be able to do that in their country, in their families, in their day-to-day -day life. It needs to all trickle down to see that God 
is in control of every bit. And more dangerous than, than what our country stands for is when they just will not acknowledge God at all. Boy, we need to teach our children that God has done this mighty work. It's God that has accomplished this, not us. The application comes in not just pride in our country, but, but praise for the protection of God on what he's done. And it would appeal to us. That's a proper perspective that we would see in that. That's the first application that we make there. The second application, I got to go quickly. Jesus relates to every man's life. As he goes through this, he weaves his way and paints the picture to the fact that not only is Jesus uh, completely applicable to all of the scripture and to everything that is going on, but Jesus has also made himself completely applicable to your life as well. He has justified you of your sin. That is his main thing that he speaks about, that Jesus Christ has come to free every man from the bondage that they face. This whole thing is about freedom. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And here we see that Jesus Christ doesn't come just to bring freedom from tyrannical rule or freedom on the political realm, but we see that Jesus Christ has secured by his blood the greatest freedom that any man could ever know, and that's the freedom from sin and the guilt that it brings, freedom from the shame of living under our sin, and then freedom from the consequences of our sin, and that's being separated from God for all eternity. A man who finds Jesus Christ does not have to live with the guilt of sin. He does not have to live in this world under the consequences of sin. If you live by the Bible, even if you don't know Jesus, you'll have a happy life on this world. Did you know that? You will prosper. God, just by living the book out, if you treat people right, you be fair in it, you, you do those things... God will do well. It will. It can make you happy. But there's more to just being happy. There's joy to be had as well. And that's knowing that our soul is not forever lost and will be separated from an almighty God. We can have that peace as well from that condemnation. And Jesus Christ brings that freedom and he relates it to every man. That's the Jesus appeal. And then the last one is super easy. Don't miss God's work. You know what? We are so busy, are we not? Everything is moving so fast. As a matter of fact, even as I was studying this stuff, and, and, and I'll share this a little bit, but I don't want to get into too depth. I don't know if you feel this way sometimes, but sometimes do you ever feel like that when you worship the Lord and when you get, you get really, I don't know how to put it, I, I, I want to put this carefully, that sometimes it's just a little more than you can handle. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's not you, but that's me. And I feel like I have to back away from it. That I, that I, I just, I need to back away and I need space and I need time from it. And then I get distracted and, I, and then I long to get back to that place. But I also feel overwhelmed sometimes by the presence of God and by worship and by just things. And I, it's, it's, a, it's an unusual place. And I know that it's sin in my body, 
that I just, and in my mind that I don't want to be there. But there is so many things that cause us to shy away when God is really working in our life. I think that we miss the work. I shared something with you tonight that I can tell you God was just blessing my heart up and down. I was seeing his work all in it. I was sharing in the glory. I was was praising his name for it. And it was doing so much great for me. And I'm glad that I spent the time to do that work. Maybe it didn't mean nothing to you. You were like, Mike, I could care less about George Washington. Some of you are like, I don't even know who that is. I hope none of our young people say you never know, do you? Maybe, maybe it didn't mean anything to you. But I'm going to tell you this right now. There's something in this book that the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside of you. And he wants to make it mean more to you than anything else that you've ever seen in your life. It might take some time to dig it out. It might even get a little bit scary as you go to find it. And you go, wait a minute, I don't want to think about that. Go and find it. Don't let the work that he is doing pass you by. He's doing a work. And and here comes Paul along and he's preaching to them Jesus Christ. And he's he's going, guys, he's done a work. He's lined it all up. His name is Jesus. He's done all the work. Don't miss him. Don't miss him. Wouldn't it be a shame? To sit in the pew week after week, month after month, year after year, and not really know who Jesus is because you missed him. He might have been doing a work three feet from you in the person right next to you. Never even knew. Never even knew. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. I own others thou art called. Don't pass me. Don't pass me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Daryl, let's sing Pass Me Not. Amen. As he comes and gets that invitation ready tonight. Hey, do you know the Lord intimately and seriously? Is your relationship with him more casual? See, this tonight is for, is for, it was a Sunday morning sort of slash Sunday night service. Can I say to you that you got to look around? Maybe, maybe you don't care about what Jesus or what God did to preserve the nation you live in. What about this? What about preserving your, your, your life? putting you in a place where you hear the gospel over and over? What about bringing you to a place where you're at right now, where you're not confronted with just a a little mess, but you're confronted with the gospel? Do you know him? Because I'm going to tell you, if you walk with him, every once in a while, he'll kind of scare you. It's going to be real. He's going to call you deeper. Deep calls unto deep, said the psalmist. then I make the appeal just like Paul give the warning don't miss it because it is possible it really truly is possible 
for you to miss it. Don't miss it. Dear Heavenly Father, do your work in this invitation tonight. In Christ's wonderful name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing 230. For you and